I'm Stuart Sheldon. My name's Ron Rothberg. 30 years ago, I was on Wall Street. I was the youngest vice president at my fancy company, but that's not what I wanted to do. After spending nearly 25 years in media, I knew things were changing, both in the industry and inside me. Swan Dive shares the powerful stories of those who had the clarity and backbone to make a major life pivot to their vision. I took a Swan Dive. I have been an artist ever since, and it's the best choice I ever made. Getting closer to who you really are. That's Swan Dive. Earl Johnson Jr.'s father was Martin Luther King Jr.'s attorney, and Earl followed in his esteemed father's footsteps, fighting for civil rights, and recently founded TakeItDown.org, dedicated to eliminating Confederate statues from public land. And so growing up on the dinner table, they, my parents talked about big issues. And so when they talked of Dr. King, he was Martin. When they talked of Ambassador Young, he was Andy. Capturing a moment uh, can change the trajectory of a nation and uh, of its people. Nevertheless, I certainly experienced, as every black American does, uh, the racism that happens in every aspect. It's an honor to share Earl Johnson Jr.'s story. Welcome to Swan Dive. From the Peacock and Park Studios in Jacksonville, Florida, and from Playa Grande in Costa Rica, this is another edition of Swan Dive. I'm Ron Rothberg. This is Stu Sheldon uh, on the beach in Costa Rica. Hey, Stu, good to hear from you today. Thank you, Ron. As always, a pleasure to hear from you today is very, very of the moment. And uh, let's get started. Absolutely. We have uh, the universe conspired to bring an interesting guest into the Swan Dive studio. We're going to be talking today to Earl Johnson Jr. Earl Johnson has has a new not-for-profit called TakeItDown.org. We're going to get into that very deeply. Earl Johnson Jr. practiced civil rights law, and you come from civil rights law heritage or lineage. Your father, Earl Johnson, Civil Rights Hall of Fame, uh, represented Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, in his legal pursuits. Your mother, Janet R. Johnson, the first woman of color to become a full professor at Jacksonville University. Here's how the universe conspired together. My father was a professor, uh, started his career at the University of Miami. He was one of the first in Florida to bring Upward Bound, a program that gave disadvantaged children in the inner city the opportunity to attend college. And your mother, Dr. Johnson, did the same thing at Jacksonville University in the mid-70s. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Small world. It's incredible. And then you and I were uh, standing in the same area uh, several weeks ago in Jacksonville at Hemming Plaza uh, in downtown Jacksonville when in the dark of night, a Confederate statue was taken down. No one knew about it. But the next morning, there was a celebration. There was a joyous celebration. And I saw a picture of you in the paper on an article from one of the local columnists, Mark Woods, uh, with these two, you called them angels, these two young, beautiful girls who were dancing and playing where that shadow of the Confederate flag of soldier once stood and they were there. And what I found interesting about that was I took the exact same picture minutes before or after you took that picture. And here you are on the Swan Dive microphones as we get into the conversation about takeitdown.org, how we got here, your story, your pivot, and why it's important that the time for all of this in life is absolutely positively right the heck now. That's right. Ron, Stu, thank you so much for having me. 
And it is an exciting moment. It's an exciting moment for those who are interested in progress and change. Um, I will be 55 next month. I grew up uh, the son of civil rights heroes, as you've indicated. My father desegregated Florida schools, uh, parks, fountains, bathrooms. It goes on. And of course, during that time in the 60s, uh, he was uh, intimately involved with Dr. King, was MLK's attorney, uh, Andy Young's attorney, uh, those and um, uh, Hosea Williams and Abernathy, Reverend Abernathy, uh, eventually came to St. Augustine, to North Florida, been at my parents' house in, uh, in Jacksonville in the uh, spring and summer of 1964 to plan those marches in St. Augustine. Dad was... Uh, geared uh, to represent them and and get them out of jail where they arrested. And indeed, uh, one of the few uh, arrests of MLK, uh, aside from Birmingham, occurred in St. Augustine. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I, I um, grew up in Jacksonville. I, uh, I, I grew up a blessed kid in Mandarin, uh, a dad who was a lawyer, a mom who was a professor, a pool in the backyard, and uh, I happened to be a black kid which was uh, unusual. Uh, not for us, of course. I grew up in a large family. Uh, both my sisters went to Harvard. Uh, education was extremely important in our family. And so growing up around the dinner table, they, my parents talked about big issues. And so when they talked of Dr. King, he was Martin. When they talked of Ambassador Young, he was Andy. And how uh, capturing a moment uh, can change the trajectory of a nation and uh, of its people, even in that you know sort of cocoon of um, of education, the privileges of professionalism and your job and income. Uh, nevertheless, I certainly experienced, as every Black American does, uh, the racism yeah. that happens in every aspect. You had income privilege that afforded you education privilege. That breaks the cycle that, you know, your your mother and father uh, were among the first to get to where they were. Um, I'm sure that you go back another generation and their parents uh, were catalysts in that pursuit. Uh, that's why one of the through lines that we talk about is education. And one of the things I hope to get to today is to educate people as to why what you're doing is such an important thing. So let's talk about take it down Org. What's the specific mission of TakeItDown.org? TakeItDown.org is the very first nonprofit dedicated to the removal of all Confederate monuments on public land in America, period. That is our laser focus, Confederate monuments, memorials, tributes, honorariums that are on public land paid for by you and I, taxpayers. Uh, the Smithsonian says $40 million in taxpayer money in the last several years. And of course, the first question is, Earl, in the aftermath of this reckoning we're having in America on race uh, since George, Brianna, and others, uh, why does it make any sense to take down these uh, old statues? It's a very good question. And it really brings us to really the first plank of our platform of takeitdown.org. And that's the education. That's really the re-education of America. And I think it really begins with taking a look firstly at the Confederacy, right? Yeah. And 
the cornerstone speech, which was uh, given by uh, Stevens, who was the vice president of the Confederacy in 1961, just weeks before the Civil War began. Uh, 1861. Thank you. 1861. <laughs> Excuse me. We've been uh, fighting years. for a while. We've been fighting for a while, 100 years before. Gives a speech where he rejects the American notion that all men are created equal, specifically, and says that notwithstanding the science, it's clear to us as Confederates that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that the Negro's natural state and condition is enslavement by the white man. And so that, he goes on to say, is the, the Confederacy, the very first government founded upon white supremacy. The second government founded upon white supremacy is Hitler's Third Reich. Yeah. He was a big fan of the Confederacy. Thompson, who designed the Confederate battle flag, uh, deemed it, quote, the white man's flag, uh, in keeping with the Confederate ideal of white supremacy. So getting away from the Walt Disney antebellum romance of the Old South and how good it was for enslaved blacks and uh, the notion that we were utterly lost without our white masters, um, that is the first step to understanding the Confederacy, first and foremost, and then understanding when these statues and monuments came to be, Yes, which was well after... Yes. Decades after the Civil War and, and during a civil rights movement. Two specific waves. That's one right. One around 1900 and one around 1920. That's right. And then the third came in, 19, in the 1960s, uh, the last of which uh, was erected in 2007. So when you look at the uh, swath of, of statues, maybe 18 or 1900 honorariums and statues and monuments to the Confederacy, and outside of Gettysburg, you're hard-pressed to find any uh, monuments to the Union soldiers. Yeah. It makes you wonder, uh, these guys were the traitors, right? They were the racists who were intent on destroying America for the benefit of maintaining the enslavement of black people. And by the way, they lost the war. But it seems to me they may have won the narrative of white supremacy. And so even after the end of the Civil War, we had 100 years you can call it Jim Crow or segregation. It was white supremacy law, which kept black people from education and jobs and every other aspect of the American dream. So, and, and you still see that in the housing segregation that we have in this country, in virtually every city. You still see that in the school segregation that still exists, notwithstanding desegregation. So all of these vestiges of slavery, the... The frankly, the lack of law protection of the law, um, and what has been violence against black people that we're seeing even today on the street, uh, has brought us to this point. And so, looking at these these symbols, these right, these physical symbols of white supremacy, and now we don't know this history very well. I can tell you that black people do, based upon our our oral tradition of history telling at the dinner table. Um, but these, this was not taught in school. Mm -mm. The, 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 the Walt Disney version was taught in school about uh, the slave owner having barbecues and, and, and such for, for the enslaved people. But, but now we have to face the fact that these are relics of racism, symbols of white supremacy. And in fact, 
if we don't know our history, I can tell you who does know our history, the Nazis and the KKK. And that's why they rally around these monuments to this day. They understand what it means. Uh, I'm sad to say that Jacksonville, although it was not a capital of the Confederacy, um, we have uh, the world's foremost comprehensive display of Confederate monuments and memorials and 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 naming honorariums and parks, et cetera. It goes on and on and on. So removing the first statue from Hemming, which I think was the one that had to go, Hemming Plaza was indeed is indeed sacred ground. It is the location of Axe Handle Saturday, which is being uh, it, it'll reach its 60th anniversary this year yeah, that's a, yeah, where, that's tough. where, where young black students were brutalized by why a, a mob of white men who carried ax handles. Um, some of them were dressed in Confederate uniforms. Yeah. And so the, some, the symbolism of having that statue, one of the tallest um, works of public art we have in Jacksonville, in fact, uh, a tower over uh, that area was was uh, was really um, a slap in the face for a lot of black people and folks of goodwill. But that's one step. We have a long way to go. So what we have are nearly two thousand of these around the country in states that were a part of the uh, American Union, states that didn't exist: uh, Alaska, Hawaii. So it really goes on and on about this hundred and fifty five year uh, false narrative of the Confederacy, what it means and what it's meant and what it means today. And so that's been our focus. Earl, you, you, you mentioned false narratives and I, I read your website and everyone should go to takeitdown.org and read the story and uh, the mission statement. But the idea of false narratives is one that has become um, one of the most poisonous, destructive cancers in this nation. And I mean, our current administration included it was born on false narratives uh, of immigrants as rapists and false narratives of voter fraud and false narratives of, of many things. The fact that you have really laser focused um, your mission statement on the destruction of false narratives and more specifically, the actual destruction of the symbol of those false narratives, I think is very, very powerful and very noble. There's something I've watched a lot of these uh, statues coming down on videos, and there's something very, very ma magical and powerful and potent and visceral about these things literally crashing to the earth in all their weightiness. Um, and uh, and I'm curious, sitting around the dinner table growing up, um, did you discuss these false narratives as such? And did you discuss um, the idea of how do we fight back against these false narratives and how, how do we make our lives work uh, about, about the destruction of these false narratives? We, as the children of, of civil rights fighters um, and others of us, have become and, and, and had become complacent, frankly. I, I think that over the last 30 years, um, a lot of us have been worried about mortgages and getting kids through school and getting our careers underway um, under the uh, false notion that somehow uh, education, money, and status insulates you from the realities of, of systemic and structural racism. And so we talked about these uh, big changes, the, the big movement, the struggle 
but I have to say it was often in the past tense, right? And so um, the notion that affirmative action was going to take hold in the 70s and do its thing to catch us up, we were literally 350 years behind, that that was going to catch us up. But we saw what happened to that law uh, hitting roadblocks in court um, and ultimately being disbanded by communities under, again, quote unquote, states' rights. Um, so I can tell you that a lot of middle-class black Americans have been working and reaching for the dream that we all have been, but what is clear now, and I guess what is clear, what was clear to my parents way back is that those of us who are in that fortunate position, we don't have the luxury of just worrying about the mortgage and about the kids and what's coming on television next. Uh, we don't have that, the, that luxury. We are so, as a people, so far behind. I'm talking about America. That saying you're not a racist or you're not prejudiced is absolutely identifying that you're part of the problem. It's not enough now to be either racist or not racist. You have to be anti-racist. You have to be anti-sexist. You have to be anti-homophobia. There is what we know is that while good people sit around and do nothing, the world gets worse. Allow me, if I may, because the, the, you know, the show is called Swan Dive. And you were just very honest and, and very vulnerable in, in expressing that there was complacency on your part. And, and I can certainly understand it because I'm one of those people who have the privilege to be complacent, trying to be less so. But this show is about the big pivot. It's about the swan dive and the recognition that a change needs to be made in the direction of your life. Um, so tell me how, what was the event or what was the what was it that woke you up from that complacency so that you would take the steps that you've clearly taken and describe that for us in, in detail, if you could. In my 26 years as a black attorney, I felt as though I was fighting a good fight. I saved people from decades and decades of prison time released, got folks released from uh, 25 years of prison or so who, who shouldn't have been there. Um, got cases thrown out that uh, had violated the constitutional rights of my clients. I spent time in pro bono work doing uh, legal work for free. I served on maybe 15 boards of director uh, ships in town over the last 20 years. Um, but ultimately, none of that could protect me from being a black attorney. And what that means for independent black lawyers in America, uh, private black attorneys, is that we are disproportionately targeted by state bars. The California bar did an independent study last year. It was released in November. It came out and showed that black attorneys for the same conduct were more likely three times to five times more likely to be punished more harshly than their white counterparts. I, I had gone through 
a bar disciplinary process that did not seem fair to me or my attorney. I was beginning a one-year suspension. And six weeks later, in speaking with the bar prosecutor in the case, he announced to me that the Florida Supreme Court had disbarred me. That was out of nowhere. That was, I can only liken it to learning of my, of my younger brother's death when I was in college. He was just a few years younger than me. He suffered from epilepsy and died suddenly of a heart attack during a grand mall. But it was that sort of uh, shock and horror and utter, uh, utter despair and the sense of satisfaction in the bar prosecutor's voice. I'll never forget, forget it. But things did go um, uh, sort of deaf at that moment. Um, I was someone who uh, identified myself wholly with being an attorney. My father was an attorney. My sister went to law school with President Obama. She is an attorney. I was, lawyers will know this stuff. I was order of the coif and ends of court. I clerked for three federal judges. I worked on some amazing cases like the Rosewood, um, Florida case where uh, that massacre, those descendants finally um, got some just due when I was at Holland tonight. Um, I had recently won a case before the Florida Supreme Court. Um, but ultimately... I was just another black guy in the system. And, um, and boy, there was uh, utter disarray for a moment. You know, um, I, there was a lot of uh, weeping and sorrow and consternation and not understanding but but thank God for for my wife, who has the ability to see beyond the moment. And um, and we fought. We uh, filed. I filed a petition before the U.S. Supreme Court. But I began immediately writing. I decided that I would teach, and that I would write about social justice. Um, that I would speak truth to power, that I would, um, we, I have less days on this earth than I've had, and I'm committed to spending the rest of my life making this a better place. And so um, I remember a very tense moment after learning that news, um, shaken to my core, totally exposed, uh, uh, just... Uh, Splayed open, um, the misery, the embarrassment um, was extraordinary uh, and deep and uh, long-reaching, not just me, but uh, family. Uh, they say those are the times that you know who your friends are. Well, I don't have very many friends, apparently. but uh, uh, the, And you know what? The, the honest truth is that that may be just appropriate. The few folks that really helped me along. So... So here I am uh, learning this news, um, 
in, in late last year, uh, I'm at home for the first time. I've been working all my life, right? I'm 54. And for the first time since 17, I don't have a job. Um, and then, and then Corona happens. And so suddenly everyone's kind of at home and there's a lot of, um, reflection happening in the country, in our households. Uh, and then, and then George is killed. Yeah. And then the, and then, you know, that, that just really was a, obviously a pivotal moment for all of us. Yeah. But for me, it absolutely helped to formalize, to crystallize that I have to act, right? If, if I don't act, who's going to act? If I don't take some action, who's going to take some action? I found myself, um, in fact, the day on the Thursday, the Supreme Court makes the, determines whether they're going to hear petitions on Thursdays. They make those announcements on their orders on Mondays. The Thursday, uh, this I think it was June 4th about that, uh, that the decision was being, the, the court was voting. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a rally at Jacksonville Beach. Uh, one of my three daughters uh, we have three daughters who are home from college and our oldest, uh, she said, dad, let's go down to the, to the rally. And so we get down to the pavilion, the beaches pavilion. I, I was the first black lifeguard at Jacksonville beach in 1983. Uh, I know that I live at the beach, uh, very, very comfortable at the beach. And it was a wonderful array of people, all colors, ages, all there in goodwill, well over 1500 people. And I began talking just about my experiences, about my parents and about these monuments. And suddenly the crowd started chanting, take it down, take it down, take it down. And then takeitdown.org comes into life. And, I, and I'm, I'm sitting here frozen with your story and your pivot and the life moments that happened to you and, and, and caused you to take action. And I, I'm compelled to reset takeitdown.org specific mission because you just detailed the systematic problems. We could talk about policing. We could talk about districting. We could talk about the Florida Bar, the Supreme Court. We could talk about all the institutions that are in place. But the one thing you chose to focus on was the one thing that was blighting the sun from those two young angels, the freaking shadow of the Confederacy that still looms over so many of us. And if we can follow that mission, that mission, that singular mission of this is public land, this is our land, this is an absolute right of our children to play without having that shadow over them. And so when you see these statues in front of courthouses, as they often are placed, when you see them in public parks in the center of the park where they're located, you know that that is a government endorsement of what? Of the Confederacy? No, of white supremacy. See, black people know this fact. We've known the true story the whole time, not, although it wasn't taught in school. And so I see it as an opportunity to remove physical vestiges of slavery, physical vestiges of white, suprem- of white supremacy, and more importantly, frankly, to retell the story so that it's correct and that we are educated about 
the history that we all live in. And let's talk about the mechanics of what you're trying to do, because uh, th- it came to light that, you know, it all comes back to state rights. Um, you doing takeitdown.org to specifically say public land. Um, talk about where you are and how you've been able to coalesce several different states in this process. The response has been extraordinary. So I came home from this from the speech and I created takeitdown.org. Uh, with the specific that was that that was just what eight weeks ago i mean this is like nascent right that was it'll be four weeks ago thursday (laughs) four weeks ago amazing and so i began a a text committee if you will uh and we were up and running within 24 hours and within another 24 hours we were rated 99 percent by godaddy and we had touched virtually every uh, every state in the country. Um, and what did not exist prior to us was sort of a national clearinghouse, an organization that could connect the different grassroots efforts. Um, this is a state's rights issue. Congress could pass a bill tomorrow to do away with Confederate monuments on public land. Um, but as it stands now, we're going county by county, city by city. And so to have that connectiveness, to understand that there is a national effort um, that's underway as well. So within hours, we had this large membership. We were uh, down Heming Plaza that Tuesday morning to see the Confederate uh, monument to come down in the night. Uh, And it's just a reminder, frankly, that... You know, all of the committees, all of the consternation, all of the bureaucracy is really bullshit, right? When politicians want to get something done because they're concerned about their hide, uh, boy, they can move pretty quickly. So, yeah, and I mean, what happened on the heels of that? What did, why was that done here in Jacksonville, the home of now the Republican National Convention in August? Well, and that's, a, that's, and that's remarkable, and we'll see how that plays out, but to me, equally remarkable is 20 years after litigation and committees and hearings, et cetera, virtually overnight, the city council the same week passes the human rights ordinance, right? So when, when there's advancement in the protection of rights for black people, you see advancement for all of us. And so a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, My dad, his work with uh, representing Ida Phillips versus Martin Marietta in 1970 before the U.S. Supreme Court, really the first uh, transitional transformative case of sex discrimination under the Civil Rights Act 1964. That very case, uh, you can apply it to its progeny a few weeks ago where the U.S. Supreme Court uh, uh, certainly uh, codified the rights of gay and trans and lesbian workers. So it's all connected, right? There's There's a connectivity to all of this and being open. And I can say this, sometimes a swan dive is more of a push. Uh, maybe sometimes the universe, mm-hmm. you know, um, this doesn't happen necessarily by, by chance, you know, or, or, or by choice, I should say. Um, but suddenly I knew I was in the right place. I knew I was in the right place. Within three days or four days, we're on... ABC's News and World Report, 
We have real efforts happening around the country from Galveston to Harrisburg to Ohio and all places in between. Uh, we saw the statue come down in the plaza in St. Augustine. Uh, we were a part of that. We are certainly experiencing uh, a very high point of this movement. And I was kidding with someone that I could probably write a book on how to create a seemingly effective MPO in four days for, for dummies. Yeah. But, but the reality is that this project, this mission is going to be long lasting. It's, there's a lot of work to be done. There's still over well over a thousand of these monuments on public land in America. So I see it as life's work. Um, hopefully someday this MPO will be able to sunset because the last Confederate monument has come down. Incredible. What would you say you're, you're even though it's just the beginning of this, this long journey and far from the end of it at this moment, what would you say you're most proud of? I'm most proud that I, that I didn't uh, shrill up and, and just fade away uh, when uh being a lawyer was stripped away from me, that identity that I thought was my identity, right? I, I thought that was me, uh, but that's simply what I did. Um, and being able to realize that indeed I am me even when I'm not a lawyer and I can affect change even not being a lawyer that courage and that sort of um, insight uh, made me proud of myself. Taking the risk of creating an MPO uh, during this period and making a stand on a particular issue, which is highly controversial, uh, you wouldn't think it was, but it is. Um, that is just the fruit of having made that decision early on to move forward. Um, what I am most proud of, of this organization is its people, the incredible spirit that I've seen really from every corner of this country, uh, Americans who are looking for uh, a better America, taking this opportunity to really take a stand on something they truly believe, believe that action can happen, believe that they can be a part of change. And so that is what's been uh, so so richly encouraging for me. Why is it different now? And I know the George Floyd, and I know all of those things are, are catalysts, but what do you suppose is different now? I think a, a boil uh, has burst. Um. Johnson & Johnson, a 100-year company, uh, the uh, Band-Aid company, last week came out with uh, new colors in their Band-Aids. Mm. I, I, like many people, thought that already existed, um, but apparently not. The notion that they offered a literal Band-Aid in response to what's happened here and around the world, I would suggest that it's time to rip the Band-Aid off that it's time to have a real discussion of what racism, structural racism, the ideal of 
white supremacy, what it really looks like. It happens in the classroom. We know that children, uh, black children are punished uh, more harshly for the same conduct as their white counterparts, kindergarten through 12. Uh, you know, classroom, courtroom, boardroom. And so once we have that real conversation and a, and a reckoning, I think only then can we actually move forward. And, and that's why it's so interesting to have a very specific cause for takeitdown.org, Confederate monuments in public land. You're going to have the naysayers, you already do, that have come back to you and said, okay, where is it going to end? George Washington, and we can find fault in everyone. Uh, so where does it end? What's your answer to that? Well, that's a great discussion. But it ends with takeitdown.org with Confederate monuments on public land. And that's our specific focus. It is the the endorsement by the government, the idea that uh, black Americans and other Americans of goodwill have to pay for those relics of racism. Uh, that has to end. And the truth about where we are in this country uh, has to be told. Yeah. 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 You, you know, the, the truth is the word there. The false narratives that you're destroying are being replaced by the truths that you're telling and the truths that underlie the action of taking those monuments down. And I think that's everything is the truth is finally being discussed, the complicated truth. Um, Earl, what is your why at this moment in your life? I am newly married to a wonderful registered nurse. We have five adult children, and we are now, my wife and I, looking uh, to what's next, right? Um, uh, our, our next chapter. And my wife is a big thinker and, and is, uh, has challenged me to think largely as well. And so I foresee an opportunity to continue to advocate for social justice, um, I see an opportunity to uh, address this situation specifically with with Confederate monuments on public land. But ultimately, what makes me sleep well at night is the notion that what I am doing right at this moment is making a difference, making this life better. Well done. Yeah. What can people do? to take action as it relates to takeitdown.org. What would you tell people who are listening? Uh, what specific action can they take to help the cause? Well, our site is sort of the first of its kind. It's uh, sort of a clearinghouse of information about Confederacy uh, monuments and where they are, et cetera. I would go to takeitdown.org. There you'll learn about how they're scattered all over the country at the taxpayer's dime what the Confederacy was about, what it's about now. And you can join our cause. We are connected in every state and particularly focused in those areas where there are grassroots uh, organizations. Um, like here in Jacksonville, Take It Down Jacks was around for a long, long time. And so now to bring that on a national level, um, that that's what our real goal is. And you can see for yourself um, what we're doing there and join us. Well, I would like to say that 
I've, I've spent some time reading your site. I was educated uh, to learn about, for example, the, the Daughters of the Confederacy and, and how these white socialite, you know, upper class women took it upon themselves to really start this false narrative and, and propagate it. And, uh, and there's so much to learn there. And I want to thank you for educating me. I want to thank you for your honesty, your vulnerability. Uh, it is truly an honor, Earl, to have you with us, and I'm, I'm I'm grateful for the work that you're doing that I know you're going to do for the work that your family has done. Um, it really is a it really is a tender moment, and uh, it's incredibly heartwarming to know that uh, that gentlemen such as yourself and and your family are doing the heavy lifting now, and and we're here to do it with you. And uh, and I, I I feel a kindred spirit, and I I feel great gratitude, and so. Uh, Wish you great, great success in this, and we'll do it. We'll do it together. Thank you, Stu. Yeah, thank you, Ron, so much. I, I just feel again back to the top. The universe conspired to bring us together in so many uh, amazing and unknowing ways uh, that you're sitting here uh, across from me. Uh, you have another uh, soldier in fight right here in Jacksonville. I, I'll do whatever I can to help. Uh, we're going to spread the word takeitdown.org. We are so appreciative that you lent your voice and your story and your vulnerability, like Stu said, as another chapter in Swan Dive. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Swan Dive. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Also, we are building a new season of Swan Dive. So if you or you know someone who has experienced a swan dive in their life, please hit us up and contact us through our website, www.swandive.us.